know, that's a Christian life right there. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy, is there? And so take your Bibles this morning, and uh, if you are here this morning for the first time, I wanted to just share a few thoughts before we get started that uh, every month this year, and of course our theme for the year is magnify the Lord. That's really why we exist, is we want God to be magnified in our lives. And then every month we have maybe taken a different aspect of the Christian life. And uh, this past week uh, we were out in California, and so uh, Brother Ethan was here. And so starting today and over the next three Sundays, we're going to look at the theme for the month of October, which I had set before the year even began, which was on magnifying soul winning. Now, this might be something that is totally new to you, maybe something that you've never heard about, don't know anything about it, maybe you've never actually had an opportunity to tell somebody about the Lord. Uh, you know, how many of you have ever seen those uh, books out now? I forget exactly what they call them, but they're the books for dummies, the how-to books. You know what I'm talking about? How to do this, how to do that. And, uh, you know, that's, the, you know, like the one for computers, that'd be one of mine, how-to. I'm a dummy when it comes to computers. But, uh, you know, the, the, the thing is, is I really believe the reason why we don't know certain things or do certain things is because we've never really been taught how to, you know. And so this morning, uh, this this message, this lesson is really to help all of us. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things in life that we may not know how to do certain things. For instance, how many of you know how to change oil in a car? Okay, about seven or eight of us. All right. How many of you know how to make a baked Alaska? All right. All one or two. And some of you are going, baked Alaska. If you don't know what it is, then you don't know how to make it. All right. How many of you know how to speak Arabic? Nobody. Well, these are all things that you can learn. You can learn how to make a baked Alaska. You can learn how to change the oil in your car. You can learn how to speak Arabic. Good luck with that one. But this morning, we're going to learn how to tell other people about the Lord. We say, why would we do that? Because it is probably one of the greatest joys of the Christian life. Aren't you glad somebody told you about the Lord? How many of you had somebody tell you about the Lord? Yeah. Yeah. Many of us were saved today because somebody took the time to talk to us about the Lord. For me, it's been 37 years ago. I've been a Christian, and it's been the greatest journey that I've ever... Listen, I look back many times, maybe you're this way, I think, what would life have been like without the Lord? You ever thought that? You know and so if we're going to learn something, look, we're not going to take you to one of the dummies books on how to do something. We're going to take you to the book. And we're going to show you from God's Word this morning, not only from the book, but we're going to show you, notice the title of the lesson this morning is, The Great Soul Winner. The message this morning is the greatest example that we could ever have in our lives as a Christian. You see, we're called Christians. To be a Christian means to be like Christ. And so if you're able to this morning, would you stand with me for the reading of the Word of God? And we'll be in John chapter number 4, John chapter number 4, and we'll read just a few verses. Now, <clears throat> if you're visiting today, we are a Bible-believing church, and I say that because a lot of times people come here and they visit the services and they say, wow. The last church I was in, they really didn't share any scripture. Well, you'll, you won't have that problem here, all right? Now, I hope that you have a copy of God's Word because in the outline that you received, there's four verses that we're going to read as our text this morning. And a lot of times when I preach from the Bible on Sundays and Wednesdays, what I do is I will go to a text and I'll stay in that text. It's called expository 
preaching. So the reason I'm saying this is because if you have the Bible this morning, if you don't, maybe you can move over to somebody next to you and say, do you mind if I look on yours? But we're going to read four verses, but then as we go through the message this morning, we're going to look at many other verses right there in John chapter 4. And I want you to see those because, listen, the Word of God is quick. It's alive. It's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And God's Word is what makes the difference in people's lives, not my cute little sermons, okay? And I want you to see God's words this morning as we look at the master soul winner, all right? So look at the first verse in John chapter 4, and the the context is this, that in John chapter 3, Jesus was dealing with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jew. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and Jesus spent some time lovingly, gently with a man that knew much about God. After he dealt with Nicodemus, we come to John 4, where Jesus is not dealing with a Jew. Jesus is actually dealing with a Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan is a person that is half-Jew. Now, the Samaritans were not viewed well by Jews, full-bred Jews. They looked down upon them. And so many people struggle with this group of people called Samaritans. And I want you to see as we begin in verse number 1 of John 4. Now, therefore, the Lord, look at this word, knew. Everybody see that word, K-N-E-W? That, that, that word right there helps us to understand, because Jesus is God, that He is omniscient, that He knows all things. God knows you this morning. He knows everything about you. He knows the things that you've been hiding from everyone else. He knows what's in your heart. You see, God knows all things. And the Bible says, the Lord knew How the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Now, the John there is John the Baptist, okay? Now, look at verse number 2. The Bible says this, and notice the parenthesis, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, I like to, okay, why is that there? I don't know if you've ever thought that. Why why is that verse there? Well, think about this. Jesus was God in the flesh. And let's let's practically say this morning that, uh, let's say just for the sake of it, that maybe Jesus, if he was here, that he baptized Barb, and he baptized Carl, and he baptized Mike. But he didn't baptize anybody else. You know, there's the opportunity, humanly speaking, that Barb would walk around going, hey, who baptized you? Carl might say, I was baptized by Jesus. You know, Mike's like, bet you wish you were baptized by Jesus. And you know, a lot of times, humanly, we, we have this jealousy, this envy, and, and we get to where we think we're better than others. And so that's why you see that verse there. Jesus didn't baptize. He left it up to his disciples to baptize. Now look at verse 3. It says, Jesus left Judea, the area known as Judea, and he departed again into Galilee. Now we won't take the time. Many of you have a Bible that in the back of your Bible, you have maps. And uh, some of you, that's your favorite part of the Bible is the maps. And you can go back there and you can see the area called Judea. And you see the area of Galilee where Jesus left Judea. He went to Galilee. But on the way from Judea to Galilee, he had to go through somewhere. Now the Bible says in verse 4, he must needs go through. Where? Where? Samaria. Now, Jesus was a Jew. And yet, he says he must 
needs. That word must, there's a lot of things in life you'll do, but there's some things you must do. And Jesus as God said, I must go through Samaria. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Pray that you bless your word and help us to learn from the great soul winner, the Lord Jesus, this morning. And we ask it in his name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing for the word of God. Now, if you study the life of Christ, and I think it's the greatest, most insightful study that there is. When Jesus began his ministry, he encountered a man by the name of Nathaniel. He spent time with Nathaniel, and throughout his ministry, he, of course, met many people. He went to many homes. He saw many people out on the hills and and even, even on the water. Jesus met many people. But in his life, from Nathaniel to the end of his life, when Jesus was hanging on the cross between two thieves, Jesus spent time with his last breaths, and he, he was talking to the man on the cross, the sinner. Throughout his entire life, what did Jesus do? He was bringing people to himself. As a matter of fact, he said in Matthew chapter 18, the Son of Man has come to seek that which is lost. Say, well, what's lost? Who's lost? Everyone is. The Bible says all have sinned. We find in Luke 5, Jesus said there, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who's a sinner? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Jesus came so that everyone could be saved. That's the whole purpose of his life. Jesus genuinely, everywhere he went, he cared for the lost, including the passage we're looking at this morning in John chapter number four, this poor, sinful woman. Jesus cared for her. The question this morning that I would like to put before you is this. If everyone is lost and everyone will step out into eternity, do you care where they will spend eternity? Because with Christ, they will spend eternity with the Lord. But without the Lord in their life, they will spend eternity in a Christless eternity. As you think about death, it's amazing when you look statistically at it. 65 million people die each year. You think about how that 178,000 people die each day. This should say 7,425 people die each hour, not each minute. 7,425 and 120 people die each minute. We've been in this service now for about 40 minutes. 40 times 120, you do the math. Statistically, that's how many people whose lives have ended and they've stepped out into eternity. And the question is, do we care? Because Jesus did. He cared for everyone that he came into contact with. He was willing to reach out to all who his life and his path crossed. And this morning, I want you and I to go with Jesus. You See that picture there? That's an actual well in the Holy Land. I wanted you to get a visual. Because the Bible says that Jesus went through the area known as Samaria, and he sat down on a well with a woman that was a sinner. Now, the truth is, I've read this story many times, and although it's about a woman, I've put myself in her place, because that's the way I am. We're all sinners. And I want you to learn with me this morning how you and I, 
according to Jesus' instructions, that we can fish for men, or in this case, fish for women. And as we think about this this morning, this is the thought I want you to have is that God wants to use you, and God wants to use me to reach a lost world. It all begins with the confrontation. You see, this woman that was coming to this well, she was a sinner. Somebody said years ago, you have to care enough to confront. Confrontation is not something that I don't think, uh, there's very few people who love to confront people. What does it mean to confront? It means to face and deal with directly. I, I don't know about you, but about 37 years ago when somebody came to me and began to tell me that I was a sinner, I didn't like that. I don't think anybody likes to hear that they're a sinner, that, that they do things wrong. There's a verse in the Bible that says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone. You say, well, pastor, that's quite a list. You know, I used to say to people, have you murdered anybody? I don't ask them that anymore. But I'll tell you what, we're all liars whether you want to admit it or not, and if you say you haven't ever lied, you're a liar. We're all sinners. And when I see this confrontation, look, what I love about it is that I see the Savior. Jesus comes to this woman, and if you have your Bible, I want you to look at some verses, and we're going to just go verse by verse here, because I want you to see how Jesus was bringing this woman to himself. Look at verse 3. He left Judea, departed again into Galilee. He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well... And it was about what hour? What's it say? What hour? About the sixth hour. Now, as I see the Savior here, Jesus, listen to me, was God. He was 100% God, but he was 100% man. He became a man, but he never ceased to be God. Say, I don't quite understand that. Well, that's where faith comes in. But one thing we do know is that Jesus, as a man, He knew about life's problems. Understand that Jesus shows in this passage how much he cares. Notice we see him in his walking. And as a man that was walking through Samaria, that shows that's evidence of his poverty. People of means in Bible times, they didn't walk around. They rode or they were carried. But Jesus was walking. He chose to live like the common man. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. But the big difference between him and us is he was without sin. See, we're all sinners. Can I tell you that no matter what you are going through, Jesus knows what you're going through. He feels. See, sometimes in ministry and in the pastorate, I deal with people and I try to help people, encourage people, maybe counsel people. Sometimes people are going through something, and I'll be honest with you, it might be something that I have never gone through myself. So it would be wrong, it would be a lie for me to say, I know what you're going through. I can be compassionate, but I, I, I can't understand. But listen, that's not Jesus. Jesus said that I understand what you're going through. I care about you. And as a man, we see him here, uh, we see him walking, and we see him, secondly, we see him as willing. Look, 
the Bible actually helps us understand here, he left Judea. And he went into Galilee, but he must needs go through Samaria. Now they say, and this is pretty factual, that most Jews in this time, unlike Jesus, they would go dozens of miles out of their way to avoid the land of Samaria. I mean, it was more convenient, it was quicker. You know, if you've ever traveled, if you're like me, when you get out your GPS or whatever you're using, what do you normally have on there? The fastest route. I want to get there as quick as I can. Well, the quickest way was to go through Samaria. But many of the Jews, they're like, we're not going through Samaria. They would go out of their way. But Jesus was willing. He was unaffected by the prejudice of the Jews towards the Samaritans. You see, we see him in his walking. We see him as willing. We see him wearied. The Bible says he thus sat down upon a well. Jesus was the God-man. We went out to California, and and we were with my daughter and her husband and, and our two grandkids, and we enjoyed having time with them, and we wanted to do some things with them, and and so we were talking about some things we could do, and, and my granddaughters, they were like, can we go to Disney? And I was like, sure. And so we went. We got there at 8 o'clock in the morning. We left at 8 o'clock at night. We walked, no lie, I'm in the pulpit, got my hand on the Bible. We walked eight miles that day. Eight miles. If I never see Disneyland again, I'll be happy. I was tired. Do you know my legs still hurt today? That happened a week and a half ago. The Bible says that Jesus walked, and they claim that Jesus never walked more than 60 miles. Think about that. He never walked more than 60 miles in his life on this earth. We had a chance and a privilege to go to the Holy Land a couple years ago. And boy, just, just seeing the proximity of the area that Jesus walked when he was on this earth. One of the places he walked was Samaria. But he was wearied. But look at this. He was also waiting. What was he waiting for? He was waiting for this woman. He wasn't sitting there going, boy, I hope she shows up today. No, he was God. He K-N-E-W. He knew she was coming. By the way, he knew you were going to be in church today. He knew you'd be watching and listening. He knows all things. And he was waiting to give her the greatest gift you could ever give to someone. What is that gift? Eternal life. He was waiting to offer her something to her that would change her life. Folks, if you're looking for something that the church can give you, church isn't going to give you much. It's a wonderful place. Tremendous group of people. But listen, the church is all about Him. Life as a Christian is all about the Lord and He was waiting because he knew that she was coming, and he wanted to rescue her. Say, rescue her from what? From her sin. See, it all begins with the Savior. Do you see him this morning there at the well sitting? And see, here he is. And all of a sudden, he sees her coming. He sees the sinner. The Bible says, look in verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Here she comes. The Bible says back up in verse number 6 that that the time she came was about the sixth hour of the day. Now, you know, they didn't have nice watches and, you know, things with the time on it. Many times they would watch the sun. And that's why I believe that they said it was about the sixth hour of the day. Notice here, A lot of times people don't understand, but the Jewish time and the Jewish calendar, by the way, if you ever study this out, it will help you when you read and study the Bible. 
And so we, we hear the sixth hour of the day. So we're thinking what? Six o'clock. But if you look at Jewish time on the bottom there, time began, Jewish time began at dawn. That was the 12th hour there. Notice that we see the first hour is seven o'clock in the morning, but six o'clock in the morning. The third hour would be our nine o'clock. That's the third hour of the day, the Jewish time. But look at the very top. 12 o'clock noon was the sixth hour of the day. You've heard the phrase, high noon. Why the phrase? Because most time the sun is at its highest point at noon. It, that also means it's the hottest part of the day. Now, you're pro- some of you are probably like my wife. You love the heat. I actually enjoy all the seasons. God didn't create me to be baked, but yet we find some people worship the sun, love the sun, like, you know, we go to, we, we, were, we were out there in California, and there were all these tables, and, and we could have sat at any one of them, and my wife says, can we go to that one? It was the only one in the sun. A friend of ours came walking over, and he goes, I figured I'd find you people from Florida at this table, and I said, why? He goes, because it's the one in the sun. You know, we live in the sunshine state. But this woman comes to the Savior, really comes to the well, and and the Jews, they, they would go to this well that was known as Jacob's well. It was the one that the Bible says Jacob gave to Joseph. They estimate it was about a half of a mile. Think about this, half of a mile from the village out to the well. Now, that means that if they came to get water, they were going to have to carry the water a half a mile back to 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 the village. Now, this woman comes to the well, and she comes there to draw water at probably the most unusual time of the day because it's the hottest part of the day. Most of the women, when they would come to draw water, they would come in a cool time, maybe in the morning hours, when it wasn't so hot because it was laborious to draw the water up out of this well. But she comes alone. The reason I believe that she came is an indication that she was probably an outcast in the city. You say, where do you get that from? Well, there's no doubt that the other women of the village probably wanted nothing to do with her. I think maybe she came there like so many today because she knew of the sin in her life. She wanted to avoid the insults, the abuse that she would get in the village. So she came out at this time of the morning. As a matter of fact, look at it there in verse number 16. It actually states the reason maybe for the shunning in her life. Notice Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Did Jesus know about her husband? Did Jesus know about her other husbands? Did Jesus know everything about her? Absolutely. So Jesus knew, and he put. He says, go call thy husband. But look at the next verse. The, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. You know, that's what God wants all of us to do. He already knows of what's in our life, but he wants us to come clean. If thou shalt confess, the Bible says. The woman rightfully states, she says, I don't have a husband. Jesus, verse 17, said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had, past tense, five husbands, and he whom thou now hast, is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. So Jesus says to this woman, you've had five husbands, and you're living with a man that's not your husband. He confronts this woman. Now listen, don't don't chide this woman. The truth is, the passage is directly about her, 
But look what the Bible says in your notes in Psalm 58. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born. According to the Bible, we're all born in sin. Our sins, yours and mine, they actually separate us from having a relationship with the Lord. Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament, notice what he said in 59 too, your sins have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So here's this sinner, she comes to the well, just like she did every other day. But this would be a day to remember. Because listen, she was a yes, she was a social outcast. But I really believe she was a spiritual outcast. She did not know the Lord. You might be here today just like this woman, and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. You may know someone that has never put their faith in the Lord. The best thing that you could do or they could do is to come to the Savior. You see, we see the Savior. We see the sinner, but we also have to understand, notice the scene. The Bible says, look back in verse number 7. There cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. You see, as this woman comes, what's neat about it is this. The husband, the, the husbands that she had had, they were not there. The man she was living with, he was not there. The women of the village that maybe talked about her and whispered about her and pointed their finger at her about the sinful life that she had been living, they were not there. Who was there? Just Jesus and her. See, all the distractions had been taken out of the way. It's like when Brother Kenny and Miss Becky take our teenagers and go to camp. When they are on their way to camp, they take away all their cell phones. Wow, Brother Kenny is mean. He takes teenager cell phones. Do you know why? Because he wants what God wants, and that is that they would spend a week with just them and the Lord. You know, many times God wants to speak to us, but there's too many distractions. Too many things that get our attention. Even right now, sitting here in this auditorium, you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to snatch the seed of the Word of God from your heart before it takes root. All the distractions are gone. I love the scene here. They're, they're at the well. Jesus is sitting there. And he's addressing this sinful person. You see, in your life and mine, in the end, it's not really going to matter what you did or what you did not do. The most important thing in the end of your life will be this. What have you done with Jesus? There was a time when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees. And Jesus asked the Pharisees this question, What think ye of Christ. You know who Jesus is? He's the Messiah. He's the one that came so that we could have eternal life. And the only way to know him is to be confronted with him. But I love the passage here because as we read on, the confrontation, as difficult as it might have been, it lends way to the conversation. Now remember, Jesus, God in the flesh, is speaking with a sinful woman. And they begin to talk about things. I've been out, I've talked to people, I've been to people's houses and talked to people out in the public. And sometimes I'll talk about our church and I'll talk about maybe 
a few other things that might be of interest, maybe something to connect us. But listen, eventually you need to get to what is important. We don't need to be talking to people about the weather. We definitely don't want to be talking to people about the Miami Dolphins, you know. We want to talk to them about something that's important. And as Jesus begins to converse with this woman, notice they talked about wells. Say, wells? Well, again, we're, we're just going through the Bible, so we cannot ignore. Look at verse number 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh the drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Verse number 12, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? See, I see here that Jesus begins to, he asks this woman for a drink. And the woman right away says, you don't have a pail, you don't have anything to draw water from the well. The woman actually was amazed. She even said she's, she couldn't believe that him, a Jew, was even talking to her. I mean, she was a Samaritan and a woman at that. Culturally, this was something that you just did not see. It was actually inappropriate for a rabbi to speak to a woman in public. But Jesus offers her something. He offers her living water. Now, if you want, I'll give you some after church. No, actually, this is just water out of a garden hose from Detroit, Michigan. Somebody's making a fortune off of these things, you know. But Jesus offers her living water. It's an amazing thought here as we see in the Bible that Jesus offers her something, and what does she do? Like many people in the world today, and I was this way years ago, she's confusing the physical from the spiritual. She's trying to work through it. She's trying to understand it. She's not quite ready to receive what he's offering her. But Jesus is leading her in that direction. Jesus was willing to reach out to this Samaritan, this woman, despite any personal cost. Notice not only did they talk about wells, but they talked about water. <laughs> Look at verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him, a well of water springing up unto what kind of life? Everlasting. Look at verse 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. In other words, the woman, Jesus created a thirst in her. She would come to that well. She was always wanting every day to get her supply of water. This bottle here, although it's a small one, I think yesterday I drank the, those regular sized bottles of water. I think I had eight or nine of them. And guess what? I woke up this morning, I was thirsty. Right now, I'm thirsty. The water we drink never quenches our thirst. Are you with me? We need more and more and more. This woman was coming to Jacob's well day after day after day, week after week after week to get more water. She kept coming there and Jesus said, I can give you a drink that if you drink of this water, living water, listen, you will never thirst again. Now, I've always, people always say, be careful about saying never. Well, this is God. <laughs> Jesus said, if you drink this water, now notice in verse 15, 
the woman said, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. In, in other words, she's thinking to herself physically, hey, if I, if I could save myself a trip out here, I want that. I don't want to have to come out here. Now, can I share with you something that God put in his word that many times we miss? Notice in verse 13, I want you to see this. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Look at verse 14. But whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Do you see the word drinketh in verse 13? And the word drinketh in verse 14? Everybody see those? Okay, it's the same root word. Now, I'm going to give you a little lesson this morning right from the Bible, okay? Jesus said, look, you have Jacob's well. If you drink from Jacob's well, he's pointing at it. He says, if you drink from that, he says, you're going to come back again and again and again. But he said, if you drink what I'm offering, you're never going to thirst again. Now, here's the neat part. The word drinketh in verse 13, it's actually given in what they call the present tense. The word in verse 14, drinketh, is actually given in what they call the aorist tense. Now, I know that doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but let me give you the understanding, all right? Here it is. In verse 13, present tense means a continual, ongoing, day-by-day action. If you drinketh of this water, you're going to come back again and again and again and again. Everybody get it? But in verse 14, Jesus says, I have water to offer you that if you drink my water, you'll never thirst again. Now, the tense there is not present, continual, ongoing. Here's what it means. It is a one-time action that has ongoing results in the future. So in other words... If you drink like I did years ago when I got saved on January 22nd, 1984, I took a drink of the living water. Now, every day I still drink six, seven, eight bottles of physical water, but spiritually speaking, I've never thirsted again. Jesus satisfied that need, that longing in my life when I took a drink of that living water, they talked about the results of that water. They, they talked about how that Jacob's well would not satisfy. But Jesus says, look, I can help you. Now, she was still confused in verse 15 about the physical and the spiritual. They talked about wells. They talked about water. Look at this one. They talked about wickedness. Look at verse 16. Jesus again tells her to call her husband. Verse 17, she says, I have no husband. And he says in verse 18, thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. So in other words, to awaken the need, spiritual need in this woman's life, what Jesus did was he put his finger on the sinfulness in her life. Do you know that people who are sinners, and by the way, everyone is, you don't have to tell them they're a sinner. They already know it. A lot of times we, we think that we have to go around telling people. When I heard that years ago, and listen, even though I'm saved, according to the Bible, we still sin. The only difference is we're saved by the grace of God. But understand that Jesus began to talk to her about her sinfulness. She lived every day. People reminded her, I guarantee you, there she is. She's had five husbands. The gossip train was running down the tracks every day. People talking about her, carrying on about her. The turmoil in her life. The Bible says, good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. You ever see the effects of sin on people's lives? Sin is hard on a person. And this woman was struggling. But until she and everyone 
realizes that they're lost, they can never be found. It's like when you talk to somebody about the Lord, a person, as the old preacher said, they cannot be saved until they're first lost. They realize their need. Somebody said without conviction, there can be no conversion. The Old Testament passage that is very familiar, 2 Chronicles, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You see, even in John the Baptist's day, and it was the same with Jesus, and by the way, it's the same today. No conviction, no conversion. There has to be a true repentance, a turning from your sinful life. The Bible says in Acts 3, look at it, repent ye therefore. Be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of, times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. You see, Jesus, as he dealt with this woman, he got her attention. Matter of fact, look at verse 19 again. She said, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. You know why she said that? Because he knew everything about her. She even says that to the people in the city. He told her everything about her life. See, they talked about wells. They talked about water. They talked about wickedness. They talked about worship. Look at verse number 20. We're just going right through this. In verse 20, here's what she says. Our fathers... She's talking about the Jewish forefathers. She said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. In other words, she's saying, look, this is where we've always, as a people, worshipped God. She said, but Jesus is telling her that she should go to Jerusalem to worship the Father. Verse 22, ye worship, ye know not what, Jesus says to her. You don't even know what you're worshiping. We know that what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth truth. So she tries to build this argument about the place, the proper place to worship, but Jesus tells her that true worship of God is not in some type of external religion and rituals. See, a lot of churches, that's what they've succumbed to, is all the rituals. Jesus says, look, if you want to worship God True worship comes from His indwelling Holy Spirit. True worship is a state of the heart that exalts a great God. That's our desire here at our church. And we're, look, we're not perfect. We, 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 we might miss on many cylinders, but the truth is our desire is to worship God. And so as you think about that, the very word worship means to ascribe worth to. The Bible tells us that only God should be worshipped, but we live in a day where man wants to be worshipped. And so they talked about it. They talked about the, the well, and they talked about the water. They talked about her wickedness. He was just going right down the line. He, they talked about worship, and notice they talked about wisdom. Look at verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, notice, future, which is called the Christ. When he is come, we will, notice, or he will tell us all things. But look at the very next verse. Jesus saith unto her, I that speaketh unto thee am he. He's saying to this woman, look, you don't have to look any further. You don't have to wait any longer. There are people that I've talked to, just like Agrippa in the book of Acts, that said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me. A lot of times people sit in church services, listen, 
I know it's true because three years I sat in a church like this. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, heard message after message. God spoke to my heart, and I just kept putting off the Lord. And Jesus says, I am the way. You don't have to wait any longer. You're looking for the Messiah? I am the Messiah. You see, I see this wisdom here, and I love it how she's open in her heart to the words of the Lord, and she reveals to him that she is, she's interested, she's concerned. If you're here today and you've never been saved, listen, come to Jesus. She, she is basically saying, I'm interested in the things of God, and what does Jesus do? He reveals to her that he is the greatest need that she will ever have in his life. How many of you have discovered that? Jesus is the greatest. He really is. So what does he do to this woman? Listen, the friend of sinners offers himself to this sinful woman. He gave her what she needed to make a decision about her salvation. See, it all begins. You know why people aren't getting saved? Because no one cares enough to confront them. And no one will take the time to talk with them about the Lord. But see, when people are confronted, and when people are conversed with about their need, then you know what you'll see? You'll see the conversion. See, I love this. Jesus really is the great soul winner. And I want you to see this passage as we come to a close this morning. Look at verse 28. Because notice her conversion was immediate. The Bible says, the woman then left her water pot. She left her water pot. What did she do? She simply trusted in the Lord and she was instantly saved. Look, it wasn't a process. The Bible says she left. I mean, she forgot the whole reason why she went there in the first place. Look what the Bible says in John 5, 24. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. (laughs) That's the conversion. That salvation, it was immediate. It was incredible. The Bible says in verse 28, look at it. It says, the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city. I mean, to go back into that town where everybody is whispering about her, pointing their finger at her, know all the bad things about her. She brushed all that aside. You know why? She forgot all about that because she had met Jesus. The Bible says she left and went into the city. She ran right in there with excitement about what had just happened. She left the water pot. She forgot about her old life because she had met Jesus. And Jesus changed her life forever. You know the verse. You see it there. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ... He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This was not the same woman that left the city that morning with the pail to go get water. Oh, they could probably see that there's something different. Is that, yeah, that's her. But there's something different. She's excited about something. And notice, it was not only immediate and incredible, but it was impelling. The Bible says there in verse 28 again, she went into the city and she saith unto the men, probably not a harder crowd than a bunch of critical, condemning men. And you have to, again, understand the culture I mean, listen, even today, you can't tell a man anything. Some of you wives, 
You can't get your husband to mow the grass, take out the trash. And yet she goes running into town to the men of the city. And look at the verse. She saith unto them, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She was compelled to tell them what she had just experienced. She is excited about her new life in Christ. Salvation will give you a message to share, but it will give you a heart to share it. She went into the city. God used her as an instrument that day. I know you think maybe, what can I do for the Lord? Listen, if you're saved, God can use your life. He can use your testimony. She went into town that day not as her old self. It was the new, improved her. Look look at verse 30. The Bible says, Then they, that's the men of the city, they went out of the city and they came unto him. Look at verse 41. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now, now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Well, look, men, can I just tell you, men of the city, you would have never known he was there if it wasn't for the woman that went into town to tell you that he was there. The woman that said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Somebody that knew me intimately. Somebody that loved me while I was yet a sinner. She says, you got to come meet him. Oh, listen, there's no doubt those men came out. They heard Jesus speak. But the truth is they would have never come if it wouldn't have been for the instrument, which was a woman, a sinner, and a Samaritan. What have you learned this morning from the master soul winner? What have you learned about reaching out to people, do you know there are people waiting for you to leave this church and to come to them with the same message that Jesus shared with this woman? Oh, you might not talk about Jacob's well, but you might end up having to talk to them about maybe some of the religious background that they've had in their life, some of the things that maybe they've listen to and they think about but you see the only thing that matters is what have they done with Jesus have they put their faith in him you see when we talk to people we need to make sure we talk to them about spiritual things oh they need to hear that they're a sinner but they also need to hear that God loves them And that Jesus gave his life so that they could have eternal life. You see, here's the truth. For some people that we know or we will encounter, God wants to use us, and here's why. Because their eternity hangs in the balance. We could be the difference between them going to a heaven or going to a Christless eternity in a place called hell. Would you bow your heads with me this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? And I want to thank you for listening so well this morning. We'll be done in just a moment. But with your heads bowed, I, I didn't want anything to distract you. But I wanted to share something from the Word of God. And I just want you to think about it. The Bible records in Luke chapter 16 that there was a rich man. I don't know how rich he was, but he was a man of means. The Bible says that he died. 
The Bible records that in hell, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham and he saw Lazarus in his bosom. And the Bible records that this rich man that was in torment in hell, that he asked Father Abraham to send Lazarus to who? His five brothers, the ones that were still alive. You see, his eternity was settled. He couldn't get back out because heaven and hell is eternal. The Bible says that this rich man did not want his brothers to come to this place that he was in. And he wanted Lazarus to go and tell them. What a tremendous testimony. What care. But the sad thing of that is, is where that man was, what it took for him to realize that. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never had a time that you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. No one in this auditorium, nobody listening, is guaranteed of a tomorrow. I'm not trying to scare or frighten anybody. It's just the reality. We don't know how long we have. And I'll tell you this. I would not put off the Lord one more day. When this woman at the well, when she came into contact with Jesus, she accepted the gift of God, which was eternal life. And if you're here today and you need to be saved, then as a church, we want to help you make that decision. It has to be yours. We can't save you. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus saves and for us that are Christians today, I can't help but think of a message like this and be so convicted about I'm not doing enough to tell others about the Lord. Do you care? Do you really care that people are perishing in their sins? And you have the answer, and the answer is Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? The piano's playing this morning. If, even if you're visiting today, we ha- this is called an altar call. It's an opportunity if you want to come and spend some time with the Lord, we'd love for you to come and just find a spot here down this morning. Christian, why don't you come and spend some time with the Lord, maybe to pray for somebody that's not saved. Maybe ask the Lord to help you to be a better witness for the Lord. But if you need to be saved, why don't you come? We'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can know Christ as your Savior. Listen, this message is for every Christian, young and old alike. God has saved us, and He's left us here for one reason. And that is so that we can be witnesses of Him. And do you know that that is not a request? It's actually a command. Every Christian, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Are you being a faithful witness for the Lord? Whatever your need is, Have I done my best for Jesus because he has done so much for me?
Lord, thank you for this morning, and I thank you for the challenge, not from me, but from the Word of God. I thank you for this woman that I really believe came to Christ out in Samaria at Jacob's well. According to the Bible, she's in heaven today. Maybe someday we'll meet her. I think about that rich man that is burning in the flames of hell today without you. You see, there's only one or two places people will spend eternity. And God, you have showed us from your word today that Jesus is the way. Thank you for the truth that we have seen and help us to not just be hearers, but help us to be doers of the word of God. And we ask